your trusted source for news and analysis about Chicago White Sox prospects and player development, covering the Major League Baseball draft and international market, plus the action in Kannapolis, Winston-Salem, Birmingham, and Charlotte. This is the Future Sox Podcast with your hosts, Mike Rankin and James Fox. Welcome to another episode of the Future Sox Podcast. My name is Mike Rankin. I'll be your host, James Fox. Alongside us, he's the senior editor at FutureSox.com. We have an announcement to make. Future Sox Night is set August 26th, 2023. You can't miss it because they're playing the Oakland Athletics, but that's not why you're going. It's because we're hanging out. Join us at Future Sox Night on the 26th. We'll have the link distributed on all our social medias, but Put that on your calendar. Keep that in mind for now because we want to see you. We want to interact. We'll include the $50 patio pass, which you get all you can eat, all you can drink, 90 minutes before first pitch. So we'll hang out there. And then within the package, you have to pay for a ticket. So the two purchases are separate, but it's all in one package. It'll cost you around $83 total, but you'll be able to have a seat for the game out in right field and We'll hang out in the bleachers and have some fun. Future Sox Night, August 26th. All you can eat, all you can drink, patio pass, plus the ticket, which gets you into the ball game. Be sure to join us. James, uh, we did that before, and I thought it was a huge success. Yeah, yeah, it was fun. We did it like pre-pandemic, obviously. This is the first time doing it after. You said $83. I'm surprised you didn't have the 83 drop ready. I, <laughs> I was I was kind of waiting for that. But yeah, no, it'll be fun. Um, you know, I'm sure what we'll get info out on socials here at some point. And for anybody listening to this podcast on Tuesday morning, if you're interested, DM Mike Rankin. True. Let me know at Rankin906 on Twitter at JamesFox917 no, if you want to talk yeah. to James. <laughs> so we will have that information for you, but it's all set up, locked in, August 26th, and we hope to see you there. So James, where do you want to start? We have some stuff to talk about today. The World Baseball Classic has captured the passion and the fire of baseball. I love the environment. I'm with you, though. It's hard to get up for an exhibition event. However, to watch the style of play and to see how much the fans enjoy it. Uh, And the players are getting up for it as well in March. So it's like high competitive baseball in March. But there's a player that you brought up to me that you wanted to talk about. And it more so has to do with the process in which he's a professional. Roki Sasaki, a Japanese right-handed pitcher who is absolutely filthy. We'll get to that later on in the episode. But there is some interesting tidbits as we approach the start of the regular season. That's right, about a week plus away before opening day, and then minor league baseball starts. We'll have affiliate previews coming your way, as well as an affiliate preview show on this podcast next week. Lots to do and lots to get to. Garrett Crochet, Peyton Paulette, there's some interesting tidbits there. Like I mentioned, we're going to dive deeply into what James Fegan wrote, what Scott Merkin wrote, as well as explore a little bit more about Colson Montgomery because he's the talk of the town and we're intrigued. We want to watch him take that next leap in what will be a pretty important season for him as a top 100 prospect, top 30 in most cases, even top 20 some places. So I guess we'll start with Peyton Paula and Garrett Crochet, James, because we also have to talk about Oscar Colas and we'll get to uh, that discussion. But Garrett Crochet, Peyton Paula. Now, Crochet gets his Tommy John surgery. Peyton Paula gets his Tommy John surgery. They're both rehabbing. 
Is there something that jumped up to you about Peyton Paulette's recovery? Because we expect big things from this talented right-handed arm, but it'll be his first professional season, hasn't pitched in over two years. What's your thoughts there? Well, so I will say, like, you know, I think like James Fegan's like must read every day, obviously. And I just like think he he might be, you know, the best guy on the beat because of just like some of these angles that he comes up with. Right. Like he wants to write about both players, but Crochet and Paulette happen to be like rehabbing together. And look, they both what I guess they were both SEC pitchers. Um, but, you know, there's probably not much crossover other than that, like other than, you know, they both kind of rehabbed at the same time. But I just, you know, I just like find the Crochet stuff interesting just because you know he just like missed a year and he seems pretty introspective about it but you know it sounds like his stuff is mostly back and Pedro Grafol kind of talks about like you know jokes that you know he he thinks that he's ready and he wants to bring him north right now or whatever like I think he's gonna go to Charlotte but like we're gonna see him pretty quickly in May and I think like I don't know like I feel like I've even kind of forgot like how much impact Garrett Crochet might have um but, you know, like there's stuff in this article just with Peyton Paulette talking about like thinking that he's working hard and he's like putting up big weight and stuff like that. And like then he looks over and sees Garrett Crochet, who's like much bigger than him and whatnot. So, you know, it just seems like both guys are healthy. Um, we're obviously going to see Crochet soon, but Peyton Paulette might be, I don't know, he might be the pitcher that I'm most interested in seeing. And I'm just like intrigued that it doesn't seem like he's going to be super slow played like out of the gate. Like they're going to have to be careful with him because it's an 80 inning limit, but he's going to go to Kannapolis, which, you know, I think is a pretty good test after not pitching last year and throwing 56 innings, I believe at Arkansas, like as a sophomore. So, you know, I think we, we've both kind of elaborated on this podcast, like how good we think Peyton Paulette can be. Um, if he's like the number one pitching prospect in the system at this time next year, it wouldn't be a surprise to me. So I guess I just like, like reading this stuff that, the rehab went well for both players, Paulette especially, and uh, they're, they're both ready to go at the beginning of the year. Now, Garrett Crochet, I wonder what the future of this player is, and we always bring this up. To read what Fegan wrote and how he explained that Crochet feels more comfortable working with more than just two pitches in his repertoire. The pitch mix is something that I always wanted to see develop in Garrett Crochet's game. And it seems like he's feeling comfortable with his changeup and he's developing more of a curveball that he wants to throw. So fastball, changeup, slider, curveball, Garrett Crochet, does that scream future starter, James? Yeah, I mean, he's probably going to need a changeup like, to get righties, right? But, I mean, maybe. I, I think we've kind of talked about on the show like how hard it is, right? Because I think like if you're Pedro Grafol, like it's really easy to talk about how he's gonna like have this matchup bullpen and you know, I don't like not believe him. But I mean, if you need to get a tough lefty or two, like in the eighth inning, like I mean, I don't think it's gonna stop you from having Garrett Crochet come in and get two outs and throw two thirds of an inning, right? It's just gonna it's just gonna be tough for him to max out innings wise, right? I mean, like what can he throw realistically? Like can he throw seventy after Tommy John surgery? And if it's seventy like how many can he throw in a starter's role for the 2024 White Sox who theoretically should be competing? I think it's the same argument that we always have. So, you know, I guess I feel like if he's going to start games on a regular basis, it's probably somewhere else, but he does seem like a really important part of their bullpen. 
So I think we just, you know, it's just like kind of wait and see and see where he ends at the end of the year. But it's definitely seems like he's going to be more than fastball slider. And that's what he was, obviously, when he came up. Yeah, and that's exciting. And of course, the changeup is the equalizer. And like you said, helps get right-handed hitters out. I will offer this just thinking out loud. And I think it's kind of a pipe dream at this point. Don't want to dismiss it entirely. However, I, I just have a hard time coming to grasp with Garrett Crochet and, and the way that the White Sox are trying to compete as a starter with this organization. However, not a lot of mileage on his arm. Remember when he got drafted, he was intended to be the ace for the uh, Tennessee Vols in 2020 occurred and that didn't happen. The White Sox fast paced him right to the big leagues as a hard throwing left-handed pitcher who can get up to 101. You know, the devastating slider was already good enough to get major league hitters out and Obviously, that skews the timeline. However, the point I'm trying to make is there's not a lot of mileage on his arm outside of the major surgery. Like that's the biggest event that we're focusing on regarding Garrett Crochet building innings based, like building that innings based, like you're referencing James. Um, I just wonder with his body and his arm because of the lack of innings and the lack of stress that he's had in professional outings. Is there optimism for me to believe that? he can handle a starter's regime to get there maybe in a year and a half. Like say you take this season and focus on getting right and healthy and pitching in high stress opportunities in the big leagues. And it'll be out of the bullpen. Maybe you see him pitching multiple innings every once in a while, but this is a major league pitcher. Yes. Coming off a significant injury without a lot of stress put on him to this point. These are different athletes today. I think the problem is just the jump, right? Like, so could you go 70 this year and then jump to like 120 in 2024? Yeah, sure, maybe. And then at that point, you're on path to be like 160 or 170, and then you're fine, right? I just don't know. You know, I, I think the problem is that he's on a team that's trying to win. I think that's that's like the hardest part, right? With roster rules, like you'd have to carry him. Like, look, you could start him sometimes and let him go four innings and whatever in your bullpen, it's just, you know, kind of something the White Sox haven't typically done. The White Sox haven't traditionally been like the Rays and some of these like opener teams and stuff like that, right? Like their starters, they kind of want to go like six or seven, like in more of a traditional fashion. So yeah, it will be interesting. I I do think last year's plan did entail some of that where they were going to have Crochet kind of play like that fireman role that Michael Kopech played like two years ago, right? Where he was coming in for three innings and he might open for like occasionally to like get that innings load up, but then he blew out. So I don't really know what to expect this year, um, but I'm glad it does seem like May we're going to see him instead of, because for some reason I thought like maybe like June or even like the All-Star break, but you know, he's, he's rehabbed pretty quickly. Seems like he's ready to go. So that's pretty exciting. Yeah, and I bring that up, just the timeline, because I, I'm I'm just, I can't give up on it um, until the doors close completely, because when he was drafted, I saw a starter, but it needed to be developed. Like That's a player who needed time to become a, not just a good starting pitcher, but one who could sustain a long career. So that's just one, you know, one, one thing that I wanted to mention is just don't completely close the door on the idea that Garrett Crochet could be a starter. It's just very difficult to see. I, I just like to present maybe the the alternative. He could, maybe, who knows? So James, another left-handed pitcher that I wanted to mention is Noah Schultz. And there was some video that we saw. You said body control. 
What is it about Noah Schultz that kind of gets you excited now that you're seeing some updated video on a kid who is now super strong? Yeah, so I think like that video, you know, I retweeted it on my timeline. I, we, we retweeted it at Future Sox. I think that stuff is from that college league, but like I had never seen it before, right? So like I feel like all of the highlights in the lead up to the draft were high school footage and like stuff from the showcase circuit. But I mean, if he looked like that in those 19 innings, like there's, I mean, I have, you know, no doubt as to like why the White Sox decided to like pay him and take him, like why they truly feel like they stole a top of the rotation starter, like at 28 or whatever it was. And like, look, like I, I don't know that they're necessarily right. Like we heard Keith Law, we've heard a lot of people like it's. High school pitchers are risky enough, right? Six foot nine high school pitchers are even riskier. But something you you just mentioned, like if you go watch the video, like he doesn't look like a six nine guy, like on the mound. Like he, you know, he does because he's tall, right? He's towering, mm-hmm. but he doesn't pitch like that. Like it's it's not like some unorthodox, like you know, like what pitch from the left side like he looks very smooth he looks under control you know there's a guy dax fulton who was like a second rounder a couple years ago out of high school for the marlins he's only like six six but they look similar and you brought up chris sale last night and you know like schultz put on 25 pounds he said like he 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 was 220 and now he says that he's 245 so i think he's already bigger than sale but you're right like the arm action and like that, the slider, like it looks just like Chris Sale. So who knows? Like, is he is he going to be Chris Sale? I don't know. It's a long road because he's a high school pitcher. But I mean, similarly to Paulette, like if he can throw eighty to hundred innings and do it in Canapolis, it's going to be fun to watch their top two picks from last year, this year. I think. Yeah, I think it's well said. Uh, it's it's the arm slot. It's the arm action. Everything else looks different. I mean, he's got similar body type because he's thinner, but. Updated pictures and updated video of just listening to Noah Schultz describe his spring training experience. Uh, I think it's been good for him. And he's in a professional organization now where they obviously study the impact that healthy eating and appropriate diet and the, the training regimens that would get him into the right spot as a professional pitcher. When I was watching video that you shared, James, as he's planting, when you watch the arm action, it's sort of Aaron Bummer, Chris Salish, because he's like falling towards third base a little bit, and he's got the low three quarter arm slot, and the ball gets on you so quickly. And especially considering you know the longer stride visually for the hitter, it seems like the ball's really up on you. So it's fun to monitor these tiny things as we're watching progression in one of the better pitchers in the White Sox system. Currently the number one prospect, pitching prospect for the Chicago White Sox, according to our list, which you can look at SoxMachine.com, search Future Sox Top 30 Preseason 2023, and you can read that as well. Let's take a break. There's more to get to. We want to talk Colson Montgomery and Oscar Colas and also Roki Sasaki, because that man should be in Major League Baseball today. James will explain after the break. Don't go anywhere. This is the Future Sox podcast. There's no I in team, but there is one in Indeed, and that's the hiring platform that you need to build yours. When you're hiring, you need Indeed. Instead of spending hours on multiple job sites searching for candidates with the right skills, Indeed's a powerful hiring platform that can help you do it all. One of the things I love about Indeed is that it makes hiring all in one place so easy because Indeed does the hard work for you. They show you the candidates whose resumes on Indeed fit your description immediately after you post so you can hire 
faster. Join more than 3 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. Start hiring now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash sports. Offer good for a limited time. Claim your $75 credit now at Indeed.com slash sports. That's Indeed.com slash sports. And support the show by saying that you heard it on this podcast. Indeed.com slash sports. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. So James, be honest with me. You've watched some World Baseball Classic. I know you said you weren't interested, but I know you consumed <laughs> a lot, right? Yeah. So I checked out some of the White Sox guys uh, long enough to see Johan Moncada like almost die in the outfield. Yeah, you that's know, nice. like what the hell is happening? Yeah, you know, it's just uh, unlike you know, he's he's he seems fine. Other than Bob Nightingale <laughs> scaring everyone, saying he has a concussion when he really does it, but we don't really, you know, it, it seems like Moncada's going to be fine. But yeah, no, like the the Japanese team is like insane right like that's i don't know how and you know like we'll see what this we're we're recording monday full disclosure and you know people are gonna listen tuesday and the finals tuesday but yeah japan the pitching staff for japan is absolutely absurd two of those players um i think everybody knows pretty well you darvish and you know Shohei otani might be the best player in baseball but it's the other guy that i i think we're going to talk about a little bit Roki Sasaki threw 102 miles an hour with arm side run. What the hell? And you could tell the type of athleticism that he has on the mound as well. So, James, there was a point that you brought up uh, just about the international signing period and how it impacts players, for example, like Roki and where he stands right now. Now, there's nobody better to explain it than you. So, what are some of the nuances of the process in getting posted from Japan to be eligible to sign to Major League Baseball. Yes, I mean, it's usually like when the guys are old enough, right? Like there's guys that came over this year. They're like, you know, like with the Cubs, right? The Seiya Suzuki, their team gets like $20 million or whatever it is. And then like you give them 70, 80 million, whatever, right? And then one of the leading rookie of the year candidates is the the outfielder um, that the Red Sox signed that that a lot of people like. He's like a leadoff profile. But I mean, he's older. So the fact is, like, Roki Sasaki, I believe, is 21 years old. And for everybody that's watched this kid, like, he would instantly be what, like, the top pitching prospect in baseball, I'm sure, like, immediately. And it's just, like, probably not going to happen. There, there was some talk last night on the broadcast, I think, that, like, Ken Rosenthal kind of mentioned that it would be a couple years until he came over. And I just, like, heard some people on Twitter, saw some people on Twitter kind of wondering why. And it's like, I don't know if people remember, but when Shohei Otani, there was like this big sweepstakes for his services, right? And then he signed with the Angels, but he signed for like $2 million because this current terrible bonus pool system was in place where, you know, we just saw Ethan Salas, um, the Venezuelan catcher, okay, he signed for $5.6 million with the Dodgers. And that was the biggest bonus ever in this new system. But I mean, the Dodgers or the Padres only had just over six million to spend, so it would be like the same exact thing. Like if you made Roki Sasaki eligible right now, it would almost be tough, right? Because there's commitments and already, and we all, we talk about this. But the most that kid can make is like you know five six million dollars to sign, like, and then you go into the minor league system like on some sort of rookie deal, you know, and and that's the end of it. He could sign later or whatever. But if he waits until he's 25 years old, which is like a couple more years, and he's still awesome, which I feel like there's no reason why he wouldn't be, he could sign for $200 billion, right? So I just guess like my question to you, like 
like if he were a true free agent right now, I mean, he's getting like 150 million minimum, right? Like, so like, I just like think it sucks for baseball fans because like, yeah, I'm sure they love watching him in Japan, but like we don't live in Japan. Then that kid should be pitching here and he could be in the big leagues very, very soon and he could make a ton of money, but he's not allowed to because the rules are just kind of dumb and archaic. And I just, you know, it's like something I thought about last night that it shouldn't be like, just the world baseball classic where you see this kid pitch like we should see him all the time and we will but it's probably going to be three or four more seasons but even looking at a guy like oscar colas right oscar colas got 2.7 million dollars so if Mm -hmm. oscar colas gets and this is way off topic but if he like signs some sort of extension with the white Sox or something like nobody should be surprised because he hasn't really made any money but even oscar colas in a free system you know is going to get maybe 20 million you know maybe and that's better than 2.7, right? But it's still not what this kid would get. This kid would get like $150 million right now. Like I'm certain of it, right? Your Boston's or somebody. Like he might get $200 million and he's 21 and awesome. It's just, you know, it's just kind of dumb. Well, there it is. That's James Fox letting it all out there. So as we continue this conversation on the Future Sox podcast, I want to shift gears to Colson Montgomery because there are there's some updates and he's going through his big league spring training. He was sent down to minor league camp and he had some quotes to share. And I thought there was a few telling uh, that Scott Merkin was able to gather and listening to Colson Montgomery, James, to me, I think one thing that stood out is how he recognized the pace in which major league camp felt versus minor league camp. And he said he got a chance to relax. He took a step back and things slowed down for him a bit. But it didn't seem like a player, as I was reading the quotes from the interview, is that he he didn't feel overwhelmed. And I know that we talked in previous episodes about the significance of his plate approach and that what makes him such a unique talent is his ability to understand the strike zone as a hitter uh, on top of the incredible athletic ability that he's able to portray at shortstop so far in the minor leagues. I'm just looking forward to what what this season presents for Colson Montgomery is what I'm trying to say because this is a player that I don't think needs to be fast-tracked to the big leagues, although he seems to me, James, that there's something about his game that's advanced to this point of his development. When a player is good enough, now, obviously, we don't want to get too ahead of ourselves on Colson Montgomery, but when he showcases that ability, the consistency across this season, and yeah, we're dreaming right now. That's the whole point. We're not saying that Colson Montgomery is ready to play in the majors right now. He is on that trajectory. However, it's closer than we think because of how polished he is already as a player. So it's a big year because it's double A, but he just like isn't talking like a guy that's going to succumb to the perils of Birmingham and Regents Field, like we always talk about, right? And yeah, like he he's not going to get fast tracked, but like if he goes to Birmingham and kind of does what he's done, like I always say this, like he's like not that far from the majors, like if he does that. So yes, it's a big year. He could go there and struggle and spend the whole year there and it would be fine, right? But if he doesn't, I mean, this guy's a top 25-ish prospect in baseball for a reason. Like, you know, you might legitimately in the second half be thinking about like, hey, what if, right? Like, can he come up and play somewhere? And I think some of it is like, like Jim Callis has brought up, like he doesn't really even care about the power because he was more impressed with the plate discipline. And I feel like it's something that people kind of slept on a little bit. Look, like my, myself included, like... I just think with like the lack of showcase experience and like being a three sport guy, I didn't know that he would 
take to baseball this quickly and like be this good. And, but I mean, like one of the things he said from big league spring training, he said, when I'm on time, everything kind of slows down for me. This is in the, the James Fegan piece. When I'm not on time, I feel like the game speeds up on me real quick. Things look a lot faster. Things look more disgusting. They're off speed and stuff in the off season. That's what I worked on. And that's what I'm doing now. So like, it seems like, look, he was using an eye pitch machine at a, the Bledso agency in Tennessee where like his agents agency is. And it just seems like you talk about this all the time, right? Like baseball is different now. And like these kids are ready quicker than ever, but it's like, because of some of the stuff that they have at their disposal, they're not just like, you know, having their dad, like throw them slow pitches that they're like cranking out of stadiums like anymore. Like it's these machines like can simulate velocity up to hundred miles per hour, spin up to 3000 RPMs coming out of different release points with randomized sequences, the article says. So this is like the type of stuff that he did all summer and you know we'll see if it pans out in his first foray at double a birmingham i guess well not not first first full season he went there briefly but you know so at 21 years old right traditionally you're thinking yeah maybe two three years out i want to get away from that way of thinking as major league baseball evaluators and prospect lovers because that's what we're trying to highlight and especially considering what james just mentioned from fegan's piece that gets accelerated, the development uh, of a guy like Colson Montgomery. They're developing at rapid paces these days, and a player who is already above and beyond a, a top 25 prospect in Major League Baseball is somebody that you can consider a fast tracker. And it's not a matter of like the White Sox are trying to force it. It's just he's doing it, and it is happening. So pay close attention to Colson Montgomery across his double-A season. It'll tell you a lot. He can handle Birmingham. James says it. I agree with it. You can handle Major League Baseball. Triple-A Charlotte previews coming out next week as well. We're going to be working on that for Future Sox. We also have individual position players to break down, so we're going to create more lists for you. We have affiliate previews for you, and we have another podcast going next week to talk about the minor league season for the Chicago White Sox because it's here. We're getting closer. Before we wrap things up, let's talk Oscar Colas because, James, what the hell, man? Why are we even discussing Oscar Colas as a possibility to not make the opening day roster? It's got to be set in stone by now, right? I mean, I would think so. And like, I like the comments from Pedro Grafol about him moonlighting in center field occasionally. I think that's, you know, that that was always the argument, right? Like, oh, they don't have a backup center fielder on the team. And like, whether they keep Billy Hamilton or not, like, you know, like, I don't really care. But it does seem like they feel at least comfortable to where like, if Colas has to finish a game in center, they could. He had a pretty nice catch in center last week, I think. You know, he's gotten maybe the most run of anybody in, in spring training so far. So, yeah, I mean, look, I think he's pretty firmly the right fielder. I don't even know how they would justify sending him down at this point. Like, what do you say that he, like, needs to work on? And it's kind of, like, contradictory to what Rick Hahn has stated about not wanting to play guys out of position because I feel like Sheets would be your only other option. So I think he's here. I also think it's interesting when they start putting up like the player signs all throughout Bridgeport because um, they don't use, you know, there's not a Colson Montgomery one, right? But there is an Oscar Colas one. So I don't know. Maybe I'm uh-huh. just, maybe I'm a conspiracy theorist, but I don't think they're putting that up in Bridgeport if he's not on the team, Mike. Yeah, I'm pretty sure they think he's going to be a part of this thing. And if he's not an opening day, like you said, how do you justify it? Don't you have to clear a spot for an outfielder or like a guy like Hans or Alberto? I know he has to be added to the 40. Billy Hamilton has to be added to the 40. 
Yeah, they might need a few spots. Yeah. Yeah, we went over this on the last episode of the Future Sox podcast, just trying to project the bench. But it's not as easy as, oh, he makes it, he goes down. I mean, they got to clear 40 man options and players aren't coming back from the World Baseball Classic on the injured list. Thank goodness. Knock on wood. Um, so. We're getting closer to Major League Baseball's opening day. And like I say, baseball typically takes care of itself when it comes to roster decisions. But this decision is an easy one. Oscar Colas is your opening day right fielder. If there's anything else than the White Sox, I, I mean, it's going to piss off a lot of people because you can say, what what were you doing in the offseason? If you weren't projecting Oscar Colas to be your opening day right fielder, why were you sitting on your hands when there were other positions of need outside of just Ben Benintendi? So, you know, it's the White Sox way sometimes, but this way wouldn't be right. Um, and that is, of course, benching Oscar Colas <laughs> yeah. and benching as in sending him to AAA. I think it has to be. And look, I, like, I feel like what we, we've been talking about Oscar Colas, like since this podcast started. So the fact that he's like actually going to play for the White Sox, it's like kind of cathartic, I guess, for me. Like, I, I don't know. It's like, because like, like you thought he was a good prospect, right? But like, I don't think you knew that he was going to be big league ready to go like essentially right away, which he is. And it, you know, it could be a big boost, but I think that's like just how bad the organization's been in right field. Like, I think he could be league average and it's like a huge upgrade. And he does things that they just haven't really done. He's pretty solid defensively. He's got a lot of power from the left side. He, you know, I've bemoaned spring training stats, like, forever but you know he hasn't really struck out a ton he looks pretty good so yeah I think that's the guy and while we you know you and I will dabble a little bit like over the coming weeks like in who should make this baseball team and who might and who won't I do think you know the Sox Machine podcast with Josh and Jim they got a lot of interesting discussions to have because I I don't think the roster's set by any means, right? And it's coming down to like two or three spots and it's all predicated on Leary. So yeah, fascinating <laughs> stuff. So be sure that you give them a listen as well. Yeah, shout out to the Sox Machine podcast, Jim Margulis, Josh Nelson. Also, uh, James, as you were saying that- Did they I, cut I him? Yeah, they, <laughs> they caught him as I was talking. Yeah, no. I was thinking about when you know we were reporting and covering the story about Oscar Colas, and I think the initial reaction I had was, "Oh, cool, he had some experience playing in Japan, and that's pretty high level baseball." Um, and then the fact that he missed so much time after he signed officially with the White Sox, just like playing and doing baseball activities with the professional organization stateside, it's been quite the journey covering Oscar Colas's tenure with the White Sox. And when we saw one full professional season out of him, we were like, oh, okay, all right. Yeah, he's pretty good. Well, yeah, like once you go to Birmingham and do what he did, and look, that it like wasn't super expected because he was pretty good at Winston. Like, I think it started mm-hmm. with good pro- good reports from people that we trust, right? Like Jim Callis said, yeah, pretty good. I had talked to people on the backfields and said, yeah, like pre- pretty impressive. Like the batting practice displays were insane right and then Keith Law liked him and then you know he held his own in a ball and was pretty good at Winston but then you kind of find out that he had like the hand injury or whatever you know something wrist related and then he goes to Birmingham and takes off and you're like okay like probably a 2023 arrival and then they play him in seven games in Charlotte to close out the year Rick Hahn's talking about him and our antennas go up right and I think we we kind of nailed this one not that it was hard I think everybody that does what we do kind of said similar, like Rick Hahn doesn't do that. So yeah, I mean, I've kind of been expecting this since November, but 
you know, he did need to go play spring training games and look the part probably. Yeah. And I, and mm-hmm. I think he kind of has. I remember we did a podcast and I forget when exactly we brought this up. I want to say it was during the season, but we had, I think we projected Oscar Colas to be, or at least we had a discussion about Colas being the opening day right fielder in 2023, mainly because of the way the organization structured its budget heading into that offseason. And then the way that we knew that Tony LaRusso wasn't going to be around. We didn't know concrete then, but we had that based on conjecture. Yeah, there's no way this is happening again. And then it all played out. But when they identify a player like that, considering the need in right field and the way they went about their offseason, I mean, this is a no-brainer. Oscar Colas is the guy. Who's the guy on next year's team that that we can predict right now, like way, way early? Well, I'm thinking it's going to be on the 2024 team. Maybe like Jonathan Cannon or something. One of the he'll pitchers. Be, he'll be next. He'll be next year's Sean Burke. Honestly, at least one of them will be a candidate to pitch in 2024. So that's pretty cool. And we're going to be with you until 2024, at least we hope, here on the Future Sox podcast because we just love doing it. Uh, thanks so much for hanging out, being with us throughout our time. Two weeks away from opening day, we're really looking forward to minor league baseball getting underway and following the storylines once we have some some numbers to base our uh, opinions on and uh, some video that we can break down and bring to the air and obviously talk to guests. We're here for you all throughout baseball season, the off season, spring training, 365 days a year. We cover Chicago White Sox baseball on SoxMachine.com. And you're listening to the Future Sox podcast. We're a part of it as well. For James Fox, my name's Mike Rankin. We're here for you every Tuesday. Stay tuned till next week. We'll have more White Sox baseball affiliate previews coming on. Oh man, I'm excited. This is the Future Sox podcast. Thanks for listening.